Alright, alright. You are listening to the Sober Awakenings Podcast. A show designed to aid you in the journey of recovery and encourage you to embrace living in states of enlightenment and presence. The Sakina Method of Recovery is a 12-step program from an Islamic point of view. Whether you are struggling in the midst of pain or on the path of recovery, these sober awakening conversations and interviews are here to be a reminder and record of the power of permanent transformation. It has been a year now since the launch of this podcast. If we're counting, we could probably consider ourselves now in Season 2. I know we've only had a few episodes, but if I was to summarize this podcast up to now, I would say its focus has been mostly on healing and recovery. Although I don't want to leave the discussion around the transformational process, I do feel it is important to highlight how life can look in the post-recovery state. As this past year has only further revealed, we constantly live in a world of pain. Tribulations and great injustices continue to occur, and the perpetual feed of incidents via social media continually make us aware of this fact. I've mentioned before how previously I've dabbled in activism and that it can be a very emotionally and spiritually draining activity. And I think all of us are beginning to realize that life after this coronavirus pandemic is going to be different than it was before. Change is the nature of the external reality. And with transformational recovery, we recognize that change is internal, too. How we felt about things before may not be the same now. Perhaps we even feel things more intensely. However, the healing that comes from recovery gives us the power to recognize that our feelings do not dictate our state of being our mindset, and this gives us the power to act in ways that we did not have the ability to before. An unfortunate example of this is the persecution of Muslim worshippers at the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem during this past Ramadan. In the 11-day conflict that followed, over 300 people were killed. Three and a half thousand were injured and wounded, and 72,000 were displaced and made homeless through bombing. Those numbers alone should be enough to send chills down the spine of any mildly enlightened person. Simply talking about this incident is not an easy thing to do, let alone rationalizing how one should respond. To help make sense of this and open up our understanding of this internal power 
that we have as transformed individuals. I invited my friend, Matt Goldman, for a conversation on this topic. Like last time, I must preface this episode by saying this is not an easy conversation by the very nature of the topic. Take this episode in stride, pause it where you need to, reach out if you need help, and most importantly, listen, reflect, and open your mind to embracing a new perspective. Here is Sober Awakenings, Episode 3. All right, all right. We've got, uh, I have got Matt Goldman, Brother Matt Goldman here with us today. Dear friend of mine, local Portland brother. Matt, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Salam alaikum. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, so my name is Matt Goldman. I'm an attorney here in Portland, Oregon. I run my own solo practice. And I've uh, been here since 2015 when I came out here for law school to Lewis and Clark and graduated in 20, 2018. And now it's 2021. And I uh, came from a Jewish background, grew up in Tampa, Florida, and uh, embraced Islam right before I graduated law school uh, early 2018. Um, and yeah, I'm just happy to have this discussion and talk about stuff because there's a lot of uh, crazy things going on all the time and a lot of misinformation out there. So I just want to kind of tell my story and tell you what the facts are. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's start with that before we go into anything deeper. Um, You've got a convert story like my own. um, And both of us had a kind of previous religious background touching a bit with uh, Judaism. I, I mean, my story is going from Christianity through Judaism to kind of agnostic humanist then finding Islam alhamdulillah in the end um but tell me a little about your story Matt so that uh, our listeners understand yeah so my story is pretty simple um like I said I grew up Jewish uh went to temple uh every week got bar mitzvahed um wasn't very religious I would say like I was more into sports and video games and just being a regular kid um I mean even most of my friends I hung out with were Christian but it was just kind of Christian on Sundays so yeah I was definitely like always into being Jewish and proud to be Jewish um but wasn't really God-fearing I would say like I wasn't I wasn't God-conscious I wasn't thinking about God or anything like that on a regular basis um but people used to joke that I'd become a rabbi just because whenever I was at temple I was always friendly and happy to be there and singing along in the prayers and everything I wasn't like most people that are just like oh I don't want to be here blah 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 my parents are forcing me um and then when I got to college I basically stopped practicing any kind of religion um or going to temple or anything like that and um got really big into studying history and politics and trying to learn the truth about things because there's so many lies um, that we're growing up with. And uh, and it just kind of started with um, kind of learning about how the world works from a politics perspective and, and, like I said, from history and just trying to learn 
um, what my public school teachers didn't teach me. And um, eventually that kind of led me to Islam through a few different ways. Um, one was obviously finding out all these lies about what we're told about um, major events in history. And so I'm like, well, I don't really know much about Islam or Christianity. Like I know a lot about Judaism and I know things from our perspective. So I wanted to try to learn things from the sources and um, just started learning about a lot of Muslim athletes and how they were um, political activists and always speaking out against oppression and um, just humble people, not flashy, like into drugs and women and all that. Like they were just good natured people, like um, <clears throat> obviously Muhammad Ali, uh, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf was one of the first people to protest the national anthem and the NBA before, way before Kaepernick. Um, there's plenty of soccer players that I follow that are Muslim. Um, and you can just tell that they're good hearted people. And um, so it was between that. Um, I met a Palestinian girl when I was in college. She started schooling me on a lot of, of information and historical facts that once I looked into, I was like, oh, wow, she's right about all this stuff. <laughs> and, um, and then when I got to law school out here in Portland, I had started meeting some Muslims and uh, Muslim Educational Trust, the mosque I go to, had a lot of uh, Jewish interfaith dinners and stuff like that. So I would always go to those. And, um, and then from there, I just started reading Quran, reading uh, books about the Quran and the life of Prophet Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And, uh, and just saw how beautiful the religion was and all the scientific miracles in the Quran and just how it was um, given to us. And I just thought this has to be the word of God. Um, no one else can write something this beautiful and, and with this much knowledge and all these different areas of law that are covered in there. Um, so yeah, it was pretty, pretty simple. I just, I believed. And so I said, all right, I guess I got to be a Muslim now. <laughs> no more drinking, no more eating non-halal. Got to pray. So uh, yeah, it was definitely a struggle at first. But uh, with every hardship, there there is ease, uh, as it says in the Quran. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there's another thing I like to live by that's called, uh, it's a motto that says discipline equals freedom, um, which is coined by a U.S. Marine, former U.S. Marine, uh, Jocko Willink, um, and uh, basically just means if the more you're disciplined, the more freedom you'll have because you're not going to be a victim to your old habits and uh, whatever that is, if it's drugs, if it's um, video games, eating, drinking, whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just kind of learned that through practice about the more disciplined I am with Islam and with praying and reading Quran, then the more freedom I have in the rest of my life to kind of enjoy and, and uh, keep growing as a person, inshallah. I'm a little curious about a couple points you mentioned there. The first one um, is how you mentioned about the his, uh, learning history um, and uh, politics as well. But I, I'm curious, first of all, about the historical side of things. like. You mentioned how there were some historical like inaccuracies or maybe gaps in 
in education um, that uh, you weren't aware of that when you began actually studying, finding out the truth of matters, um, that kind of uh, helped evolve you to who you are today a little bit and, and then leading you towards the path of Islam ultimately. And I, so I'm curious kind of like, what were some of those uh, historical points and matters that you discovered um, or some of the errors that you had previously thought were truth and then had to get rectified? Certainly. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'll start with uh, the founding of Islam um, where it's obviously I knew there was the, there was the prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and I knew he was from Mecca, Saudi Arabia, um, but really I didn't know anything else about like, how the Quran was revealed and all the history. Like, I, like obviously I knew there was the Sunni Shia kind of divide, but I didn't know what the, what the point of it was or anything like that um, and all the history there. Um, I didn't know that Islam was so widespread. It wasn't just an Arab religion, that it was a religion for all mankind and it had been spreading all over the place um, for many years before, um, like before kind of the, when the dark ages ended, I guess. That's when Christianity kind of came back into the fold after, because I guess there was the Crusades and then the dark ages, and then Christianity became a power, but Islam is never really talked about in Western culture but Islam was still a big power. Um, shouldn't say a big power. It's because it's a religion and there's lots of different Muslims out there, but just in general, like there are Muslims that were powerful and that were smart and um, making new discoveries. Um, what else for history? Uh, I mean, especially when it comes to like the politics of America and the Middle East, there's a lot of um, intermingling there. And just starting to learn that it really wasn't the Muslims' fault at all. It was the, these Arab countries and the Middle Eastern countries that are the victims of kind of British imperialism and America trying to fight proxy wars against Russia or China. Um, and not to say that a lot of these countries are great, um, as it like meaning their governments, like. Um, for instance, Saddam Hussein probably wasn't the greatest guy, but he's doing a lot. He did, he did a lot better job than um, what the what's going on now in Iraq. And same with Syria. Assad's not a good guy at all, but he's doesn't mean we need to go in there and fund a bunch of rebels to take him out. I mean, that's not the answer. Um, same thing. Same thing in Egypt. Same thing in Libya. Somalia all over the place like we're always kind of getting in other people's business thinking we're doing the right thing or at least marketing that we're doing the right thing <laughs> but uh, there's always kind of sinister things in the background um, especially when it comes to terrorism I mean a lot of it is uh, done by Israel and it gets swept under the radar or blamed on someone else um, and so just kind of learning the truth about all the violence there uh, really woke me up to a lot of things. And, um, and then, like I said, just learning more about Islam itself without any of the other politics and history, kind of putting that aside, just looking at Islam by itself. I was basically sold and 
and just meeting other Muslims and talking to them. I can I felt like I can talk to them more freely than other people. They're not going to judge me for my political views. And um, a lot of times I was kind of teaching them stuff because I, I tended to know a lot and, and uh, I guess impressed a lot of born Muslims that were born into it. Um, I was like, oh, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Um, come hang out with us, brother. <laughs> So yeah, alhamdulillah, it's definitely a culmination of a lot of things, um, but really just learning the truth in general about what's really going on out there, because there's so many lies and it's hard to decipher through them. Thank you for sharing that. And these are things that often we don't hear about when we're reading the newspaper or watching the news on TV or on our phones via social media. And, and mashallah, you're, you're, you're very learned you've gone on with a law degree, you've established your own legal practice. Can you share um, some advice on how other people can better educate themselves about history and politics, both like current affairs and in terms of things that have happened beforehand? Because obviously things that go on right now have a background and a backstory to them that can go back to the beginning of time if we wanted to go that far and I, I think this is cool because like you were saying with the um that quote um and if you could share that again that would be awesome oh discipline uh, equals freedom yeah discipline equals freedom that's i like that because that's often what it takes and i know from my own journey when i was studying philosophy and politics and university that um it, it actually does take that discipline in order to find the truth. So um, yeah, if you could share for the listeners some about that, that process of almost research that has to get done to actually uncover what is true. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, it's just kind of any basic logic where just don't always trust whatever you're reading right off the bat. I mean, to take the extra step to read the full article, not just the headline, take the extra step to read opposing views. Um, like for instance, politically wise, I'm kind of right down the middle, um, but anti-authoritarian. So I fall into the libertarian party. And so I read Democrat stuff. I read Republican stuff. I agree with some of it. I agree or I disagree with some of it. Um, like I like to look at everything from both sides. I read Israeli news, I read um, Palestinian news, and I look at it from both sides. Um, I just, it just takes, I mean, it takes a little bit extra effort and, and basically humbleness, because a lot of people are so caught up in their egos that they're not, if something challenges their beliefs, their, their confirmation bias, then they're just going to throw it out or come up with whatever argument they, they want. Like, for instance, someone who criticizes Israel or all the crimes they've committed, oh, I'm not going to listen to that person. They're a known anti-Semite and a Nazi sympathizer. It's like you, you've just lost the conversation because you're just attacking the person um, and not the actual facts. And also what you're saying is untrue. Um, so really, I think a lot of it is just being humble, not being afraid to Google something when you don't know it. Um, just taking the time to read books. I watch a lot of YouTube. Um, I like independent journalists, and if there's five different independent journalists saying the same thing, 
that kind of corroborates because they're all independent from each other. Whereas you have the mainstream media, five different companies could be saying the same thing, but you know, they're all under the same umbrella and they're taking orders from the same people. So it's pretty obvious to decipher who's telling the truth and who's not. And um, just using common sense and connecting the dots and, um, and just looking for the people that actually do their research correctly and present facts and not just a narrative. Um, uh, like I want to see the hard evidence. Like I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I want to, I need to see both sides before I can really evaluate a case. Like I can hear from my client, but they're going to be biased and telling their side of the story. So I'm going to say, okay, thank you. But let me talk to the other side first before we can get a, a handle on things. So just kind of applying that to all my other, um, research and and for me it's it's uh, enjoyable like i love watching youtube documentaries i love reading um listening to podcasts something i do all the time because i live alone and i work alone so it just uh helps kind of uh give me company i guess in a, in a way but just i like to multitask and and uh just learn about all different things like kind of the more out there something is, the more I want to listen to it because it's more interesting to me. Um, and if I disagree with it, that's fine. But at least I gave it a chance. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's good. I think keeping an open mind is particularly an important thing, uh, especially when you go out and you're, you're, you're reading things and you don't know what the truth is. And it's that, that search for discovery you're going to hear a whole bunch of different perspectives and being able to sift through that to determine what reality is. Uh, and mashallah, you, you, you've done a great job, brother. And um, the, the first part of that, obviously, is the fact that you, you came to Islam. So going back to that, I want to ask you, um, since you did come from a, a Jewish background, um, I guess, both culturally and religiously to a degree, how did the your conversion to islam um how was that embraced by your i guess family and previous community um so it's kind of hard to get under my skin in a way because i just I kind of have that don't care attitude when anyone thinks about me so and anyone who knows me very well knows that so they know they can't really change my mind or guilt me or anything like that um but definitely my parents were a little turned off by it at first um just because they don't know muslims they don't know the truth they just see what they hear on tv and they're very like mainstream democrats um so they just very follow the mainstream news we trust the news type of people and so i try to give them little um tidbits about Islam little by little just to kind of because I don't want to like drop the hammer on them or anything because um, then they always get mad when I bring up Israel but um but yeah like uh I try to just give them little things little nuggets of information that they can take um and, and and they've met some they've come to Portland and met some Muslims so they're definitely more comfortable um with just who I'm hanging out with I guess and um, I remember I had a conversation with my rabbi shortly after, and he was just telling me, oh, this is a hateful religion, and you should never try to marry a Muslim girl. It'll never work out, blah, blah, blah. And I could just see the, the brainwashing inside of him. Um, 
it was real obvious, obviously for us, but, uh, but I just kind of sat there and nodded my head and just let him say his piece and didn't really want to argue with him because he's an old man and pretty stuck in his ways. But, uh, I definitely, I've actually been meaning to call him just to check in on him because he's retired now. Um, so that's on my to-do list, but, uh, cause I still keep in touch with him and try to grab lunch with him or something when I'm down in Florida. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I was, it's kind of hard for my family to be upset with me because, um, I'm successful. I'm a lawyer, I independence. Um, so I stay out of trouble so they can't really <laughs> get mad at me for anything. So, um, yeah, I feel like, and I'm the type of person not only I, like, I can embrace Islam without any issues, but I can also talk about politics or other controversial things without any issues because I'm confident in what I believe and can back it up with facts and knowledge. And uh, like I said, I have pretty thick skin, so can't really um, get to me very easily. Like I'll just, if it's anything negative, I'll just kind of brush you off and just say like, may Allah guide you type of thing. <laughs> not gonna, not gonna get angry about it. <laughs> Mashallah, that's real good. I, and it's it's a very important thing to be able to maintain ties, especially with family, that those bonds of kinship are dearly important. Um, but that's also really, really special that you've been able to maintain ties with other community members like the rabbi and things like that. So yeah, mashallah. Very good. I know um, that the cool thing about Judaism and what actually drew me to it out of Christianity was the fact that they... Uh, the, of the, the observance of Torah, uh, the, the divine laws of God, which very fascinating is that the, the Sharia, the legal elements of Islam, are very similar and in many places identical to that found in, in Jewish law. And so I was curious um, from you being your, your legal standpoint and, and knowledge, uh, and practice um, observance or the similarities that you've observed, how easy was that kind of transition for you? And then obviously that the, the, the Sharia word is kind of a, a scare word, the common, particularly in media. Um, so if you talk a little bit about that, I think that would be beneficial. Certainly. Um, well, for me, um, so we have the concept in Islam of Bida which is like innovations um, because for anyone who's listening, it's not a Muslim. We as Muslims, we want to strictly interpret the Quran and follow the Sunnah of the Prophet and anything that's kind of made up that no, that's, that's us. That's from humanity. That's not from God. And we should try to stay away from that, um, especially if it's a gray area. And so for me, I see kind of, most of the Jewish and Christian religions as it, uh, because there's been so many innovations and transformations over time and so many different sects that are formed, um, different interpretations of the Bible and the Torah. Oh, I'm going to follow this, but not that, blah, blah, blah. Um, like, for instance, I grew up Reformed Jewish, so we did like the bare minimum of things. Uh, my family never kept kosher. Um, what else? Um, I mean, even if you go to Israel, a lot of the Jews there are secular and atheist. 
Um, and then you have Orthodox Jews that are ultra Zionists. And then you have Orthodox Jews that are anti Zionists because they say, no, the Torah exiled us from the land of Israel and we're not supposed to have a state. We're supposed to just be citizens of wherever we live. And that was basically the case in Palestine before Israel was established is there were Jews there, there were Christians there, there were Muslims there. It was just a free for all. Um, and then once uh, Zionism came in, that was completely an innovation and a political movement. And but they said, no, no, we speak on behalf of all the Jews. And if you're against us, you're an anti-Semite. And it's like, no, you guys are the anti-Semites. <laughs> like everything you're saying is hypocritical. And so just starting to learn that uh, really opened up my eyes. And so, yeah, I mean, Sharia, that's definitely um, just like Islamic Jihad or terrorism or conspiracy theory, whatever word you want to use. These are all words that are manipulated in the media. Um, like Jihad just means struggle conspiracy theory just means that you have a theory that there are people conspiring to do something whether it's illegal or not that's just what a conspiracy theory technically means terrorism when that word is thrown around so much but all that really means is using violence to make a political statement so that can kind of apply to any um numerous different scenarios not just um to muslims but that's used against us by the mainstream um, but I would point out there was no such thing as Islamic terrorism before the state of Israel was established. So I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> Coincidence. But, uh, yeah, so with Sharia, I mean, a lot of people see that word and they think, oh, we're going to chop someone's head off or chop someone's wrist off for stealing or stone people to death, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, there's some pretty crude things in there because it was created a long time ago. Um, and I agree that we shouldn't be innovating the religion, but think, but there should be a balance and things should be reformed to go with the times. Um, but that being said, I mean, Sharia is a complex and it's, it covers so many different areas of law, basically all types of living. It gave women rights way before Western society ever did. Um, it, it establishes um, just the rights you have over your parents and parents have over children. Um, I mean, it's just, all it is, is just following the word of God. So, um, you can put whatever context you want around it, but at the end of the day, it's just a system of laws and sure not, maybe you don't agree with all of them, but really not up to us to agree or disagree if you're a muslim you just you follow it to the best of your ability and then i try to remind everyone that there's no compulsion in islam so if you're a non-muslim you shouldn't be com com uh, compulsed or compelled into uh into following the sharia um that's like another political topic i guess if if you i guess if you live in a democracy and that's what the people vote for that's fine but um but I think laws should be kind of voted on and on a case by case basis and done through the legislature. So I like like the system America has set up. Um, but, uh, but we shouldn't force people to follow things that they don't agree with. That's kind of why I'm more of a libertarian, like, let me live my life. I'll let you live your life as long as we're not um, 
infringing on each other's rights, then just go do your thing. I'll do my thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. And you know, you you brought up a little bit there about how um, things in Palestine were different before uh, the the creation of the the state of Israel today, as it's known. Um, and you know, obviously, I brought you on today to discuss the the state of Palestine, and and the state of it being how things are today with the occupation. Uh, back just last month during Ramadan, um, there are some major incidents that happened that caused a stir once again in the media. Uh, Eleven days of uh, hostile tensions, particularly, um, and. This this is something that is obviously a, a long story and background, but I, I think to start uh, with a little bit of expanding upon what you shared about how things did not used to be this way, and this is kind of a uh, a result of a lot of compounding elements from the past century. Uh, so, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about how we got to where we are today. And then I think we can maybe move forward with a little bit of a conversation about uh, what our role in this is. Sure. Um, well, I guess it starts with just colonialism in general. I mean, we have, um, I mean, things were relatively peaceful for the last century or not last century for the last millennium. I'd say uh, after the Crusades ended in the Middle East and um, most of the rule was under the Ottoman Turks um, or Persia. Um, and then you started to see kind of at the end of the dark ages, the Western Europe or just Europe in general starting to kind of take a bigger um, role on the world stage. And that's when the slave trade started. Um, coming to America and South America, um, colonizing Africa, uh, colonizing Asia. And then after World War I, uh, the, the, uh, their interest kind of turned to the Middle East. And there was a lot of Zionists that basically cut a deal with Britain to give them Palestine. Um, First, they were going to give them, I think, a, some land in Africa, maybe in Liberia. Or, I can't remember exactly what country. Um, and they're like, no, 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 we want, we want Palestine. Like, we want Jerusalem. That's, that's our Zionist goal, basically, is to retake um, Israel because God said so, that we're the chosen people. <laughs> um, and so... Jews started immigrating to Palestine in the early 1900s and things were pretty fine. Um, but then uh, when it got closer to World War II, you started having kind of these paramilitary groups that were funded by Britain and just wealthy Zionists. Um, and they started driving Palestinians out of their homes, murdering them. Um, 
basically doing terrorist acts, whether it was blowing up um, markets or hotels or um, ships over the years. Um, and then after World War II happened, basically the Holocaust gave the Zionists a free pass to, that they had all the backing of everyone else in the West to um, establish a homeland in Israel. And I mean, it sounds not bad on paper, like, okay, let's all move to the Holy Land. We can all get along. It'll be, it'll be great. But the problem was, is that a lot of these, and, and this isn't every Zionist, this isn't every Jew, this is just the ones that were in power. They took things by force. They kicked Palestinians off their land. They killed people, um, sent them to refugee camps, sent them to other parts of Palestine where they weren't from. Um, and just basically from there, it just became a systemic um, ethnic cleansing of the local Palestinians. And they're now the biggest refugee population in the world. And it's just it's so sad to see what's going on after so many years. And I've said for a while that it's going to have to get a lot worse before people start waking up to what's going on. And unfortunately, last month, that's kind of what happened. And I think it's going to get even worse in the future. I think that was just like things like that kind of happen every year during Ramadan. The Israelis try to anger the Palestinians the most during then because they're Muslim majority. And um and yeah, I mean, just what's happening in Gaza, it's, it's really sad to even discuss. Um, and the West Bank just gets smaller and smaller every day as uh, Israel builds more settlements out there so they can finally annex the whole West Bank and have a Jewish majority. That's basically what their plan is. Netanyahu didn't make a secret of that. Um, and yeah, just all the political manipulation they do to other countries um i can kind of talk about it all day I'm just trying to hit the big points here um like 9 11 is a big controversial topic but if you actually do your research into it the whole bush administration was in on it the whole israeli Mossad was in on it like they were the ones that were funding al-qaeda and osama bin laden and it's not that difficult to wrap your head around that once you start connecting the dots and learning the history about all that. Um, and so it's just a lot of deception that goes on and a lot of guilt tripping, like, oh, if you are against Israel, then you're an anti-Semite and you hate Jews. It's like, well, I used to be a Jew and my whole family's Jewish and I love Jews. Like, you don't have to be Zionist if you are Jewish. You can be Jewish and anti-Zionist. You can be Muslim, anti-Zionist, Christian, whatever you want. But at the end of the day, if you actually learn the facts and listen to the people that are on the ground, the ex-soldiers, um, the, the independent journalists, then you see what's really happening. Yeah, thank you for kind of catching us up with the history so that we're, we've established kind of at least the background of where things are at. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said this comes down to the kind of remnants of colonialism from centuries gone by. Uh, and that's something that I think a lot here in the West think is completely been done away with. And yet it's at the heart, if not 
probably the root cause or a root cause of um, what's going on with one of the greatest geopolitical conflicts of our generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, you ended there with another cool thing. It was just saying, like, look, I, I, I'm a Jewish Muslim convert here. My family's Jewish. Um, I'm, I'm not opposed to Jews. Um, but there, there are elements within it. So we, we can say the same thing as, as uh, like an, an Arab Muslim could say the same thing regarding like ISIS or something like that. It's like, look, I, I'm, I'm a Muslim, I'm, I'm Arab, but that doesn't mean that I'm for radicalization of a beautiful religion. So, um, yeah, can I, oh, let me talk about that real quick. Yeah, go right um, ahead, brother. Because, yeah, like a lot of people that talk about ISIS or Al-Qaeda or anything like that, they're basically the only comparison is I can make is okay. So are you saying Nazis speak for all of Christianity or whatever KKK speaks for all of Christians? Like, no, of course they're not Christians at all. They're just burning the cross and using, picking and choosing what they want out of the Bible. Um, and yeah, ISIS, Al Qaeda, any of these, um, Al Nusra, Al Shabaab, any of these, um, terrorist organizations, the biggest victims are Muslims of them. Like they slaughter Muslims, like no other um and it's just so sad that they're being called like they're like they're the representatives of our faith um but if you do any kind of you have any kind of common sense you don't even need to do research you can kind of quell that uh myth and that also brings me back to uh hamas everyone wants to say oh they're a muslim radical jihad uh um terrorist organization and it's like okay well what about the israeli army like you guys are religious you guys are fighting a struggle and you guys are arguably the terrorists so what's the difference (laughs) i mean hamas is it's like um it's kind of like uh teachers picking on kids in a sandbox and hamas are the kids in a little sandbox that can't get out and can only smuggle in crude weapons and then you have these outside forces the israelis that are working hand in hand with the pentagon and literally american policy is that israel must have more advanced weapons than anyone else in the region that's that's our known policy and it's just they're just like shooting fish in a barrel like it's it's um it's not a fair fight at all and to call hamas terrorists for firing rockets in response to israeli international crimes like who's who's the real terrorist <laughs> i mean it's it's not hard to put put two and two together there um and uh yeah one more thing i wanted to say if i can remember it um oh yeah so like this this um conflict i don't, I don't know what to call it skirmish but um this phase that just happened where israel just dropped a bunch of bombs on gaza in response to Gaza shooting their rockets. Well, now Israel is saying, oh, we need another billion dollars from the US to buy us more weapons because we just spent a lot of money on these weapons. And it's like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a joke and who knows what'll happen. I think there's a lot of pressure on the Secretary of State Blinken. Um, he actually met Palestinians recently and, and, and heard from them, something that uh, 
Pompeo never did. He only spoke to Israelis and Clinton, same thing. She only spoke to Israelis and I definitely see the tides are turning slowly and our generation is a lot more hashtag woke than uh, the boomers. So that's good. But uh, yeah, definitely needs to be a lot of progress. And like I said, things are going to get a lot much worse before they get better, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, all we can do for now is just try to speak up and contact our senators. Um, like if I was, if I was in charge, I would end all aid to Israel right now. I'd boycott Israeli companies. I would investigate 9-11, um, investigate all their other war crimes, like sue Israel, basically. <laughs> I would, that would be a lot of my first uh, things in office to do, um, because honestly, I think they're the biggest threat to America, um, even more than China and Russia, because they're our so-called ally. But in reality, they're not our ally at all. They're just using us and stealing from us and um terrorizing us as well um just not as bad as they do the palestinians um so yeah i mean i don't i don't want to i don't want there to be violence i'm always about peace but if the israeli government was dismantled today even if it were violent it would lead to much more peace in the future um Obviously, we'd, I'm a lawyer. I'd want to do things through the courts, do them the right way, because whenever things are done by violence, that usually leads to more violence back and forth. And anytime there's a violent coup or anything like that, it typically doesn't last very long until there's another violent coup. So, <laughs> and we see how messed up the politics are in Israel. Like they barely couldn't elect a prime minister, and looks like they finally got someone in, Naftali Bennett, who's probably worse than Netanyahu. Um, but that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's just a lot of problems going on there and uh, just all based on lies and pointing the finger at someone else when you're the one doing what you're saying and just a lot of hypocrisy and projection and and uh, yeah, but, but luckily I think the, the smoke screen's starting to settle and people are starting to see through and see what the truth is going on over there. Yeah, indeed. I think just the fact that the the incident during Ramadan was so highlighted in the media. Uh, that's kind of a big turning point that hasn't really been seen before uh, that I can remember at all. Yeah, and you even saw the media trying to cover it up somewhat like, oh, people in Palestine died and Israelis were killed. It's like, no, like people were killed on both sides, like murdered is the right word because it was um, done premeditatively and on purpose. Um, but yeah, you can see them. They're trying to save face a little bit and protect Israel with the wording, but there's only so much you can do because people all over the place are starting to mistrust the mainstream media, especially with the pandemic and the elections and just everything that's gone on in the past 10 years. I think a lot of people are, are starting to wake up, alhamdulillah. Yeah, there's so many things to break down, and I definitely want to try to look at a couple of them in some detail with you, uh, inshallah. Um, you know, when I was studying and doing some prep work for this uh, recording uh, and discussion. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought up Hamas because that's kind of the political entity in Gaza, uh, the, the Gaza Strip region. Um, and that, it, how you were likening them to kind of uh, kids throwing 
rocks or uh, shooting off rockets, homemade stuff, basically, uh, for the most part. It, it was fascinating because of the, when I was looking at it, the demographics of Gaza are 50% children under 18. And then it's something like 20 to 30% women. And then the rest of it, but that's like maybe 20, 25% at max adult men. I mean, when you're talking about Israel bombing buildings in that area, I mean, the, the casualty rate, which we obviously saw too in the aftermath, th there's so many innocent lives and particularly of women and children in this that from a Muslim perspective, um, I mean, human human <laughs> humanly perspective that's terrible atrocity but from a muslim perspective i mean protection of women and children is one of the most important things there is yeah no 100 percent. you hit it right on the head there um and yeah i mean hamas they are the political party there and they form somewhat of a military but i wouldn't really call it much of a military because they can't really fight back fairly. They're just kind of underground and firing rockets whenever they can. And I don't really agree with firing rockets because it always ends up in Israel firing 10 times as many rockets back at them. But at the same time, like what else are they supposed to do? Just sit there and do nothing? Um, like the Palestinian Authority, which rules in the West Bank, they don't have any military you're not even allowed to have weapons because the Israeli army occupies the West Bank and doesn't allow them to have weapons. And Israel is fully armed to the teeth, requires all their young citizens to join the military. So their military is their biggest social institution and everyone goes through training and gets hardened that way. Men and women learn how to use weapons. And, and then you have um even like when it's not the army if it's just random israeli citizens versus random palestinians it's like the typical is like you have an old man trying to protect his farm with no weapons at all with just his hands where you have young kids that are picking up rocks and throwing rocks versus armed to the teeth citizens or citizens that are um being uh, protected by the military like they're they're out there with the citizens to cause a stir and Oftentimes they're burning Palestinian olive trees just to um, just as a show of force. They're tainting the water supply, cutting off electricity, um, spilling sewage wire, sewage water on Palestinian lands, um, and killing innocent protesters, men, women, and children. Killing doctors, killing international peace peaceful protesters, especially in Gaza. Like they'll just that just uh, call you a terrorist for even sympathizing with any kind of Gazan, uh, but who's the real terrorist? I <laughs> mean, um, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. Um, once you get rid of all the brainwashing, but that's obviously not the easiest thing to do. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Hamas, like I have all, all the respect for them, really. I mean, they're, they're trying to do what they can and they're a full political entity. Um, they have somewhat of a military. They have a health ministry. They have education. I mean, they're, they're doing their best with what they have. Um, 
and just to call them all terrorists is absurd. Um, so it's just more like Islamophobia or Islamophobic tropes um, that are used, which are way worse than anything that is deemed anti-Semitic by um, um, just pointing out the basic crimes that Israel commits on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, in just, just last month, we saw in the bombings, we saw uh, journalist buildings, we saw hospitals, um, and just normal residencies attacked. Oh, those are all uh, terrorist training centers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the, the other fact that, that Gaza itself is literally an open air prison. I mean, it's completely barricaded on all sides, two by Israel, one by Egypt, and then the sea by Israel as well. There's nothing going in, nothing coming out. The people there have no other option, basically. I mean, that, that's, that's a, a point there is like, we talk about what kind of legal options are there. I mean, they've, they've formed a political government to a degree, if you want to call it that. Um, but I mean, when you have no recourse, I mean, th this is the, the fascinating point of colonial uh, elements there is that you literally have this people basically in a, a jail and you're going in and attacking them in the prison. Yeah, I mean, if someone came into your house and killed your sister and said, you need to go move out and live over here and with all these other people in a small area, like, how would you feel? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's pretty simple and, um, like it's honestly, it's just sad for me to even talk about because I couldn't imagine myself um, living through that every single day. I mean, I guess you get used to it if you're if that's your only choice. But because as humans, we're built to adapt. But um, yeah, I mean, we're just so spoiled here in America compared to what they have to go through every day. Little kids, they have to sleep through bombs going off at night, and it's just a trauma. I can't even. I can't even imagine having to go through. I mean, I grew up in Florida. I thought that was dangerous. <laughs> so yeah. in, in terms of legal options, just in terms of, of Gaza there, I mean, we're not talking about um, greater Palestine, the occupied areas, or even the West Bank. We're, we're just talking about Gaza here. Uh, in terms of legal options, the, the, the course of action that Hamas has chosen is, is one strategy that is there um there is the uh the bds movement the boycott divest sanction movement which um has been going on for a while and maybe now we'll be picking up some more momentum uh thanks to the the, the media um what other legal political options do you see that um the citizens there have i know one that's been proposed, and I don't know if this is necessarily a favorable one at all, is um, if if they just can can leave. I mean, it, they're, they're locked into that area. I mean, if if they can at least, if they want to peacefully leave to some other area, could they do that too? What what kind of options do you see? I mean, those are just like maybe three there. 
Yeah, well, certainly. I mean, I know it's not easy to leave. Um, and it would depend on where you're trying to go to on whatever immigration laws there are um, and refugee status you can claim. But yeah, certainly that's an option. Although I know most Palestinians would probably agree and say, well, we don't want to leave. We want to fight to keep our land because um, one day, inshallah, we'll return to our houses if we can outlast the, the Zionist state. Um, and then, yeah, BDS is super powerful because money talks and companies will listen if you're hurting their pockets and their bottom line. Um, definitely, um, like, like I said, if I was president day one, end all aid to Israel because that's how they... Uh, maintain their edge is by all this free money they get from America and us as American citizens and taxpayers, we have the obligation to speak up, um, speak out against these war crimes, demand, um, like hold our representatives accountable, which is really tough to do still because a lot of them are still very beholden to Israel, but I'm hoping things will change um, for the better in the near future. It's kind of like me being a libertarian um, a lot of people say I waste my vote by voting libertarian and it's like, well, maybe we'll keep growing some steam. And so it wouldn't be a waste in the future. I'm just trying to think long-term and I don't want to vote for a Democrat or Republican because I don't agree with their, um, policies. I mean, it's pretty simple. Why would I vote for someone I don't agree with just because one's less evil than the other? It's like, no, they're, they're both evil. <laughs> doesn't matter if you kill or if you shoot or you stab someone, you're still killing them. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just a stupid argument to me. You know, in, in terms of the, the local politic thing there, um, one, one observation I remember from when I was in university, I, I, I was, I was blessed to have, um, it was a, it was a Christian Palestinian uh, brother who, um, had, had fled uh, Tel Aviv in the early 40s, uh, I think, uh, and then uh, eventually through Jerusalem moved into Jordan and then gotten uh, citizenship in America. And he, he was leading our uh, Middle East politics class. And one of the things that he highlighted, of course, along with all of the historical observations that he was going through was <clears throat> the, the complicity of America, regardless of party uh, that's in power uh, uh, with terms to foreign policy in the state of, uh, of Israel as it is today. Um, and, and this is something that I think you can be seen very clearly just with what's happened here in the past month. Um, I mean, Israel didn't stop until America agreed to pay the bill for all the bombs. And um, I mean, now they're they're not. There's Israel's still not negotiating with Hamas. They're negotiating with um, the the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank instead. So it's it, it's still an aspect there that there's. I mean, maybe maybe they're on the face looking like they're trying to pursue something more, but is it actually even still of benefit, or is it just the same old, same old? And then, of course, there's the, the age-old question. I mean, America itself could be deemed a colonial power, the modern-day colonial power, um, or the, the remnant thereof, uh, alongside of Israel to a degree. And, I mean, we're, we're one of the, 
the last countries to give up slavery, something that's still a very sore point. And uh, we, we have continual racial struggles going on in this country to this day. In fact, if anything, it's, it's only become more magnified. We've had the Black Lives Matter for their, um, almost a decade now, uh, honestly. Um, uh, something that's just continued to, to build up. Um, and, and that, I mean, there's, there's the, the very powerful documentary 13th that came out just a couple of years ago, talking about how we don't really even have slavery illegal yet in America. We are still, in fact, actually a colonial, by definition, uh, nation. Um, so to a degree, can we ever expect, and, and, and this is going back to what what this professor was sharing was, can we ever expect our foreign policy to be leading in a exemplary way unless we've actually rectified our domestic policies? And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, well, I guess I'd wanna start with going back to your previous question with how do we, do something as Americans basically and or, or just as Palestinians in general. And I think it's just sharing more stories to get the facts out there. Um, engaging for me, at least engaging with the Jewish community and sharing my story, engaging with Christian communities. I mean, really I'll engage with anyone. Um, but especially if they're a supporter of Israel, those are people I want to engage the most, or if they're just kind of agnostic about it, they don't know whose side to be on, I would love to engage those people and just give them my side of the story. Um, and then, yeah, when it comes to politics, like typically Israel is um, favored by both Democrats and Republicans. Um, and whenever they're carrying out these assaults on Gaza, they're hand in hand working with the Pentagon, sharing intelligence and all that. So it's really two versus one on that set. Or, I mean, two versus one is an understatement because it's like two superpowers versus one zero power. <laughs> so it's kind of like a 200 versus one. Um, but you did see like at the end of Obama's term, he was starting to push back against Israel. And I remember Netanyahu just kind of showed up unannounced and spoke in front of the Congress. Um, the Senate, which was kind of the first of him kind of going around a U.S. president. But then you had Trump come in. He was the biggest um, Israel supporter we've ever had. I mean, people want to say he's a Christian um, Republican. And it's like, no, he's a Democrat his whole life. He just started running Republican because some of his values matched up with Republican values. And he kind of filled a void because there was no other good Republican candidates out there. Um, still aren't really um, and uh, and he calls himself a Christian but can't name any verse out of the Bible <laughs> and his whole family is Jewish and he's a real estate guy from New York I mean he's basically a Jew I don't know what middle America has in common with him and and then he does whatever Netanyahu wants like Kushner and Netanyahu are best buddies he moves the capital to Jerusalem and the embassy there um, he basically gives free reign to 
uh, Israel to start making more settlements or continue making more settlements in the West Bank. He even wanted to make his own settlement named Trump Heights. Um, and so he was the biggest gift to Israel. I hope Joe Biden will kind of come back and, and level the field a little bit. But I mean, we all know that he's a career politician and has always been a Zionist and he's stated that publicly and Kamala Harris, same thing. She's a Zionist and married to a Jewish guy. And like, there's nothing wrong with being Jewish or marrying Jewish or having Jewish family, but you have to understand that if they are Jewish and they are Zionist, that's an inherent conflict of interest because you're supposed to be holding America's interests first, not Israel's interests first. And that was Trump's thing. Make America great again. America first. No, you were making Israel first. <laughs> America was second. That's why he was killing uh, Soleimani uh, in, in Iran. That was Netanyahu was pulling the strings there um, and basically almost started a war with Iran after that. That was all because of Israel. So <laughs> like I said, it's not hard to put two and two together once you connect all the dots. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, if we voted libertarian, I know any mainstream libertarian would want to end all aid to Israel because they understand that they're just sucking us dry and and they don't care about us. They just care about themselves and the Greater Israel Project, as they call it. Um, and that was basically the Bush administration. They were all Zionists. They were all doing business with Israel um, or Jewish themselves or just Zionists. And um, that's a conflict of interest. Like as a lawyer, I can't represent two parties that are against each other. So if you're going to be a politician, you need to represent your people, the constitution, you take an oath, you, you literally take an oath to uphold the constitution from enemies, foreign and domestic. Um, so and there's a lot of foreign and domestic enemies here <laughs> that they're not uh, protecting us against. So the, the VDS movement, uh, boycott, divest and, and sanctioning this, this is a tactic, I think, and and it's fascinating that that Black Lives Matter uh, movement here in in a way kind of took up a similar cause domestically uh, with uh, trying to do the same, and obviously that that kind of pushed maybe some of the political uh, dialogue and discourse here um, largely to the left. Um, how can we as I mean, obviously, this is a big thing. It's, it's, it's at least cool something that individuals can do, but how can we move the political needle here in America more towards this? Because I, I, I can't think of a single politician in, in DC that uh, is in favor of BDS, maybe outside of uh, maybe like Ilhan Omar, uh, Rashid Tlaib. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a handful um, that are it's uh, politicians that are starting to become more pro-Palestine. Um, not good at naming names off the top of my head, but I know American Muslims for Palestine, they're a lobbying group in D.C., and they've been writing a lot of letters, and they've been getting co-signed by a lot of um, representatives. So at least in the House of Representatives, we're starting to get some traction there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really about like the same thing was done in South Africa to fight the apartheid there. Um, we do the same thing to China, um, to Iran with the sanctions. Um, 
I mean, we do it to any other country, so it wouldn't be that difficult to do it to Israel as well. Um, and even most of Europe is starting to get on board because they're seeing what's going on and, and they're sick of like apologizing for Israel and taking Israel's side when they're starting to learn the facts. Um, so yeah, it's really just about getting the word out there, which companies are doing the most business with Israel and trying to hold them accountable. Um, cause yeah, I mean, with, with black lives matter, I feel like a lot of companies have been using that to their advantage where they just kind of do a virtue virtue signaling and they're like, Oh yeah, we stand with you, blah, blah, blah. Um, come buy our stuff. But at the same time, they're using like child slave labor in China or Vietnam or, or Pakistan or whatever. So it's very hypocritical. Um, and it's just up to us to not be stupid enough to fall for that. Um, because when it comes to Black Lives Matter, I mean, it's definitely a worldwide movement now, especially after what happened to George Floyd. Um, and I completely sympathize with them. And I think a lot of Black Lives Matter sympathize with Palestinians. But I think, like, I, like I, I don't like the name Black Lives Matter that much because, and I don't like All Lives Matter either because that's kind of just being disrespectful to Black Lives Matter. But I don't have an answer um, because I don't fully see what's going on in America right now as a black and white thing. I think of it more of like a class thing where if you're lower class, doesn't matter if you're white, brown, black, yellow, like you're getting targeted by the police and you can't buy your way out like the upper class can and the police know that. And we have all these drug laws um, that are used to put people in jail. Like we have the biggest prison population in the world as well as the biggest military spending, which goes back to your colonialism and kind of empire building. So those are the facts there. Um, and there's police that are shooting innocent people all the time um, of many different colors and but just oftentimes doesn't get caught on camera like George Floyd does and that's when you when you have all these um, video footage that's when you get the most emotional response out of people and um, but I mean if George Floyd was a white guy I'm sure Derek Chauvin would have killed him just as easily <laughs> like I don't think he killed him because he was black um, like it's really sad what happened um, and I, and I have a huge respect for law enforcement. I think law enforcement of all phases um, and all levels are good people for the most part, but in any profession you have bad eggs and when you have bad eggs that also have a weapon on them, then bad things are gonna happen. And so, and that happens in any country, like you go to Africa, the cops are killing their own people there too. Like it's black on black. So it doesn't, I don't, I don't think of it as really a race thing as much. I think that's kind of been blown a little bit out of proportion by the media. Like I, I do think there are racial elements about it for sure um, in specific occasions, but I think in the grand scheme, it's more of a class thing. It's, uh, it's the lower class versus the cops basically in the inner city folks, um, whether they're black, white, Asian, like there's all kinds of different gangs out there. <laughs> um, and it doesn't even have to be a gang. It could just be um, just uh, some guy trying to sell some weed to make some money and feed his family. Like it's, it's um, just goes back to me being a libertarian. I think we need to make things legal and then just regulate them if, if need be. And so things are be much safer and 
business can be done out in the open and um no i think that's good and the the highlight i i mean main takeaway i would say that i'm hearing from you i mean correct me if i'm wrong here is that the what, whatever movement we're doing whether we're titling it black lives matter uh bds um all of these things uh, or or even like we were talking about in terms of like interfaith dialogue between like muslims jews and christians the more we speak about these things speaking out about oppression injustices the more um aware people will become um and at least the more conscious hopefully out of the awareness we, we can build a a, a local consciousness expand that to a regional national global consciousness about these issues and obviously this is going to take time it's an important thing we need to work on it but my, my heart honestly it goes out to the kids in gaza that just had their homes blown up and i as much as I love this, and I think it's a very important thing, I don't feel like it's an adequate solution or an answer for them on the ground there in Gaza. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, things are certainly not going to change overnight um, with how long they've been going on. But, um, and, 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 and I can talk to people that support Israel all day, and they probably will never agree with me, but I would at least just want the opportunity to talk to them and let them at least listen. Because like, for instance, I just had a discussion with a rabbi uh, that I just met for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And just everything was saying was, he was saying was just all lies. And I could tell, cause I grew up on those lies and I've heard them all before. And I told them like you, you live in a Zionist echo chamber because that's all he talks to is other zionists and he doesn't hear he doesn't know any palestinians he doesn't know any arabs he doesn't hear the other side of the story and so just trying to get people out of their echo chambers which is so easy to do nowadays with the internet but like it goes back to the beginning is people are, are not humble they're they're caught up in their ego and um shaitan is whispering in their ear telling them no stick to your beliefs you're, you you know the truth you've known the truth since birth why would anything ever contradict that and it's like no you need to be humble do some research google something it takes five seconds <laughs> and uh and maybe you'll learn something but yeah i mean a lot of these a lot of these people they're well educated and they're smart people but they're just being fed the wrong information so it doesn't matter how smart you are if that's the only information you're getting fed that's what you're going to believe um Unless you're super duper smart, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's such a fascinating thing, too, because it's the ego there, that inability to be to be humble um, that that leads to the oppression. That that is the root of things like colonialism, slavery, um, terrorism, uh, actual terrorism <laughs> uh, and that definitely sounds like the the best course of action is that that we have to work with crushing the ego uh working on ourselves to become more humble uh encouraging that in others as best we can while speaking out against oppression in whatever form 
Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the state of Israel and Zionism is a good example, but I think 9-11 is the best example where, um, no, this wasn't actually Muslims that did this. This was actually people that were aligned with Israel. And and when someone hears that, they're like, what? No, you're crazy. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And it's like, well, it actually makes perfect sense when you see the chain of events that happened after 9-11 and um, the Bush administration and all that. And if you just do some minimal research, um, which there's so many, there's so much disinformation about 9-11 out there. So that's, that's always a touchy subject. It's hard to find what the real truth is without um, some guidance. But um, and I'm always happy to guide people in the right direction. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, with 9-11, it's like, oh, well, that we, we were told those were Muslims and they were terrorists and blah, blah, blah. So why would I change my mind? Um, like, why would they lie about that? And, it's, and that's all just your ego talking to you and, and you wanting to believe um, like an easy truth, I guess. I don't know what to call it, but like the real truth is no, like this is, this was an orchestrated attack by Israel and the Mossad and elements within our own governments. And um, I mean, same thing with the pandemic right now. Um, because the first story that came out was this started at the wet market in Wuhan, which I never believed from the beginning because there was zero evidence of that. And all the evidence kind of seemed to be that it came out of the lab. But no, you were just some crazy conspiracy theorist about that. And then now fast forward a year and a half later, even members of Congress are saying, oh, actually it probably came from the lab. <laughs> and then we have Fauci getting his emails all opened up the other day, which I don't think there really was much there. And it's like, well, what, what does he even know to begin with? He's just trying to clean up the mess really at this point. But, um, and like, I don't know who's behind it or anything like that. Like I know 9-11 really well because there's been so many, uh, so much research done about it, but like, this is all new. So like, I don't know the answers, but just from, just from a logical standpoint and from a gut feeling, I was like, I'm pretty sure this was like a man-made bioweapon or at least was tampered with in the virus or in the lab and then accidentally got leaked out. Like, I don't know the answer, but I just, I knew at least it didn't come from the wet market because that just, whenever, whenever the mainstream comes out with a story real quick without any hard evidence, you know, it's probably a lie, <laughs> especially when it's a convenient truth. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of um, confronting the ego, but also, like I said, with 9-11, so much disinformation out there like you have all these people jumping on the QAnon stuff with trump and like sure there's there's stuff in there that is 100 true but, but most of it is completely made up and speculation and i think is a big psyop um but yeah there are people out there like doing human trafficking and other kinds of illegal activities that um like that 100% happens all the time. There's bad things that happen all the time. Evil things, fraud, there's all kinds of crimes happening all the time. Um, and that's why I think we need a limited government, especially when it comes to foreign policy, but a strong government that can actually enforce the law and focus on the real issues here at home and help people that are in poverty and homeless and have medical issues instead of just throwing money at Israel so they can bomb some more kids and do some more ethnic cleansing. <laughs> yeah, the 
the irresponsibility of governmental or, or power structures. Um, I mean, I, I definitely think you, you you have a point there with what we're seeing in terms of kind of probably the collapse of greater mainstream media. Um, oh, yeah. Probably something that's been building for a few years, but probably culminating here about now. Um, and that people pretty much don't trust it in general, um, at least among our generation, I would say, um, if, if they're even paying attention. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, there's still plenty of good people that are in mainstream media, but you're not going to get the cutting edge fringe stuff from the mainstream because they have too much to lose from putting something like that out there. So that's why you need the free market of ideas to have all these different competing theories. And yes, there's going to be disinformation or just people that are scamming. Um, that's always going to happen regardless. Um, so we need to just do our best to educate ourselves. Like I said at the beginning, read five different independent journalists. If they're all saying the same thing and they're all independent, then you can probably put two and two together there. Um, but then if you have five mainstream um, articles saying the same thing, then they're probably working in concert. <laughs> A lot of times they're using the same exact language and just cut, cut and paste. So it's pretty obvious. Um, so yeah, you want to look for people that are doing independent work and talking to different people, different sources, but when they're all coming back and saying the same thing and actually going through the facts and the evidence, then it's pretty easy to tell who's lying and who's just kind of coming up with an opinion piece. Inshallah, Matt, I want to thank you for just sharing your perspective on all of this today. And I, I, I had one question I kind of wanted to maybe wrap up with just to, to see did you, if there's anything from your own personal practice uh, with uh, your, 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 your legal practice where maybe an example that comes to mind or, or maybe it doesn't even necessarily have to be related to what you've done personally, but just something that you've, you've heard in, in your legal practice um, regarding how, how we can be more humble or how we can speak truth to power and hold people responsible. Yeah, I mean, I think it just goes back to learning the facts and the evidence. Um, doesn't matter how much you pay for a lawyer or how big and powerful they are. Like I'm a solo attorney. I could go up against some giant law firm and the law treats us the same. So like they might be a little more experienced and smarter than me and can come up with some craftier arguments, but the facts are going to be the facts. Those aren't going to change. And so I have every right to go up against them. And I have no fear of any other attorney. Like we're all equals to me. Even if you have more resources, I still know what I'm doing in my practice areas. Um, and I just, a lot of the, a lot of cases, you just lose them on the facts. You're not going to lose them on the legal argument because the legal arguments are there. We're in, as attorneys, we're all kind of experts in that. Um, and that's where cases are lost are on the facts. So that's doing your job as an attorney is obviously interpreting the law, but also applying it to the facts and, um, tying everything together. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that goes the same with religion, with politics, um, just making sure you actually 
put in the work to learn um and that way you can speak on something because the problem is is you have a lot of palestinians that don't even know their own history that well and they try to argue with jews and then they just end up looking like bad people because they end up screaming and yelling and can't articulate themselves very well and it's like no we're muslims we need to be or even if whatever religion you are but especially if you're a muslim and we follow the prophets of Allah, you be calm you speak in a with good manners um you don't lie if you don't know something you say i don't know let me get back to you on that um and when we start losing our temper that's when we're losing the battle and we're making our whole um side look bad basically so we don't want to get it's it's kind of like hamas firing rockets like um yes i understand they need to do something they can't just sit there but when you start firing rockets that just gives the zionists um fodder to to argue against you and then fire more rockets and because that's what i was talking with this rabbi the other week because he just kept harping on well hamas fired four thousand rockets and it's like okay is that your only argument <laughs> because i can come up with a hundred things that israel has done to them and so if you're just going to keep going back to that then you need to go back to the drawing board because that's not a winning argument and anyone any neutral observer that's listening can obviously see who's right who's wrong just based on the arguments they're making so you always got to stay calm you got to stand your ground when when you need to it's kind of a balance act but at the same time um like most of the time people aren't going to listen to you anyways especially the first time you have a debate so just got to give them little by little give them some more information show them you're a good person you have a good heart good intentions and and most Israelis, they have great hearts and great intentions as well, but they're just kind of brainwashed by their upbringing. And, um, oh, you killed my cousin, so now I got to go kill your cousin. And, oh, I got to go kill these kids because they're going to become terrorists in 10 years. And, like, they, they try to justify what they, what they do. But I mean, a lot of them kind of, as they grow older, they learn the truth about what they're doing. And they look back on their military service and all the bad things they've done and and they start to see, okay, well, who's who's the real terrorist here? <laughs> who's the one committing violence for political gain? <laughs> Israel. <laughs> so uh, it's it's just it's just all about um, establishing the facts, learning how to argue. Because um, yeah, like I'm a professional at arguing, I guess, but anyone can do it. It's not that difficult. It's just you need some practice, you need some discipline. Um and and just educate yourself. I mean, there's there's so many resources out there nowadays. There's really no excuse. Um, unless you can't find the time, but I'm sure if you gave up watching Netflix or whatever other F off activities a lot of people do, they can they can find the time to to build themselves up and and yeah, I mean just going back to me becoming Muslim, like I never had any problems with my ego, kind of like accepting um, that God exists or that the Quran is the word of God. It was really just, oh crap, do I have the discipline to learn a new religion, to learn a new language, to start praying, to stop drinking and smoking? Like, do I have the discipline to do all this? That was really what I was scared of. 
And I've heard a lot of people say that they're like, Oh yeah, I know all about Islam. It's, it's amazing. I just, I'm not disciplined enough to do that. And it's like, well, we all are disciplined enough. It's just, you got to make a choice. And, um, and it's one of those things like, do you enjoy going to the gym to work out? Most people don't, but once you're done, you feel great. <laughs> so it's like praying. Do I want to pray all the time? Sometimes I don't want to pray at all. I just, I'm lazy or I just don't even want to make wudu or, or go do something or, or, and I want to just sit on the couch or whatever, just be lazy, um, whatever my excuse is. But if you actually get your ass up and go pray, do you ever feel bad afterwards? No. <laughs> And, and it's funny to think about because prayer is kind of the best thing for us because it helps us in this life. It helps us like stay disciplined and on the path to success and, and calm your mind. And it's like a meditation, but then it also helps us for the hereafter. And it's something that's so simple yet so difficult to do sometimes. And I just, that's just shaitan, I guess. <laughs> trying to trying to whisper in your ear and, and tell you not to do it because it's so beneficial so it's just something like that it's so simple um and then after you pray you're free to go do whatever you want and, and you feel good and if you go pray at the masjid you get to say what's up to everyone and it's like a social thing and there's just so many benefits to it and really no negatives except you just lost 10 minutes but what else were you going to do with that 10 minutes anyways <laughs> So yeah, all I could say is really is, is alhamdulillah and, and yeah, I mean, everything just kind of comes back to um, making intention to be a good person, to drop your ego, to just want to improve every day. Um, or do you want to be an old man and sitting, doing nothing all day? Like, no, you're going to get bored. Like you, like, obviously if you're old, you want to retire and not work, but you should still want to do something productive with your life and um, keep your mind fresh otherwise you're just gonna wither away so it really doesn't matter what age you are you should always kind of keep improving yourself and uh, um, and just focusing on the next life as well Mashallah, brother. I, I really appreciate you saying these things I you know it's the the heart is what matters so much and having the good intention having the dedication and the discipline to work on oneself, to be humbled in front of others. Uh, th these are really key important things that can move us forward individually and the in entire Muslim world. And I know that that in of itself is a whole conversation we didn't even get to here, uh, but probably also equally as integral in, in this. And that unification has to start in the heart. So, yeah, mashallah, mashallah. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say another example too is like someone who's obese and wants to work out and lose weight. Like, obviously, it's a lot of hard work, but when you're finished, you're going to feel good about yourself. Like, when I went to law school, it was a lot of hard work, but when I was finished, you felt good about yourself. Um, and it says in the Quran, like, I think I said it before, with every struggle, there is ease. So, it's just, as humans, we're built to struggle. We're all going to have problems that God gives us and it's up to us. That's the test. Are we going to just keel over and give up or are we going to keep the faith and, and strive for the successful path? I mean, it's, it's up to you to decide. Um, and yeah, obviously it helps to have a good community and support system around you. Like you can't do everything on your own. 
Um, but at the end of the day, like you need to watch your own back and, and pick yourself up and not make excuses. So there's, there's a balance there. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, like, like for me, I'm trying to, um, memorize more Quran and, and just learn Arabic. And that's a, that's been a struggle with me just to find the time and the energy with work and everything. But I know once I'm fluent, inshallah, I'm going to feel great about it and not be missing out on all these conversations and all this knowledge I can receive in Arabic. And, and yeah, so it's just, you can be lazy your whole life, but then what are you going to show for it at the end? It's like, you might as well work hard now and then you can uh, have all these skills acquired inshallah and uh just uh if you're religious then focus on worshiping the creator and keeping in god's good graces and uh hopefully you'll have a good successful hereafter as well exactly care for sharing that brother if there's any listeners that want to get in touch with you to kind of continue this conversation I mean, I know you have your own legal practice. Um, I don't know if you do any consulting work uh, with that. Um, if anyone's wanting to get in contact with you, is is there a way for them to do so? And I can obviously include that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's um, pretty easy to get in contact with me. I'll, I'll, I'll list out my email and my phone number real quick. Um, email is matt, M-A-T-T at Oswego, O-S-W-E-G-O, businesslaw.com. So that's Matt at Oswego, businesslaw.com. My phone number is 503-908-3566. That's my office number, um, but I can receive calls or text on that. And then if neither of those worked for you, you can always just look me up. Um, just Google Oswego Business Law, LLC. That's my law firm you can also look me up on the oregon bar under my name matthew goldman same with the washington bar all my information's listed on there uh linkedin i'm on i'm on instagram i don't have facebook um but yeah happy to talk to anybody anytime i love talking and i love listening and just uh sharing knowledge of people and and yeah, if I can be of benefit to anyone, especially the youth, um, I'm always happy to happy to talk and, and give my time. That's that's all it's all beneficial for me too. Like just talking over all this stuff helps helps me kind of keep things fresh in my mind. And because there's so much information out there, and um, so many good like documentaries and stuff that just rattle off all these facts and. It's impossible to remember everything, <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty good at summarizing at least. Um, but yeah, I'm just, especially people that disagree with me, I'm always happy to have those conversations because we can agree on stuff, but then what's the point? <laughs> like I want to talk to the people that I disagree with, uh, try to change some minds and maybe they'll change my mind. Like I'm, if someone presents me with some facts that I've never heard of, then that's great. But um when it comes to Israel, at least I've heard all the facts and then some <laughs> from both sides. So I'm pretty dead set on there, but, uh, but yeah, no, always happy to engage with anyone. Even if we disagree at the end, it's, that's fine. Just as long as we listen to each other. Um, I don't care if you disrespect me, it doesn't really rub me anyway. Um, I just want to be a respectful person on my end and, and praise God. And, and that's all I can do really. So, uh, yeah, happy to, 
talk to anyone at any time. Just hit me up. <laughs> exactly, care, brother. Really, really appreciate the time that you're able to set aside for having this conversation. And uh, maybe we'll we'll come back and revisit this another day. Inshallah, sounds like a plan, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate you reaching out. And um, yeah, I'm all vaccined up now, so I'm just getting back out in the field and and getting around and everything and having meetings in person again, which is nice. And uh, just kind of picking up where I left off and before the pandemic started, because I had to kind of put my life on hold a little bit with a lot of side projects. But uh, yeah, alhamdulillah, it's definitely been a tough year for me, but I think I've grown a lot and uh, learned a lot about myself for sure. sure. And uh and definitely had more time to do more research. That's always fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, uh, I'm just thankful, very thankful person, very blessed. Like I said, I couldn't imagine if I was born in some of these circumstances that people have to deal with all over the world. Like we're so spoiled here. It's ridiculous. And I think we have a responsibility as Americans to make our voices heard even more than the rest of the world because our government is so encompassing across the world with what we do. So I think it is incumbent upon us that we're inherently responsible for what our government does. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to bash our government totally. Like our government is, does lots of great things. We have a great country. I love America personally, but there are certain people that have a lot of power that are totally driving this country into the ground, whether they're doing it on purpose or not. That's another story. Um, but uh, we need to just hold people accountable and hold them trustworthy. Yeah, just be more informed and, and stop voting for the lesser of two evils. Vote for the good. <laughs> and vote for the truth. Exactly. Yeah. Let the your hawk. voice speak for the truth. The hawk. Indeed. Alhamdulillah. All right, Jazakallah care, brother. Really appreciate it. Yeah, wa yakum, bro. Assalamu alaikum. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Sober Awakenings. Special thanks to Matt Goldman for joining me for this episode and exploring how we can move forward with power as transformed individuals. In a recent segment highlighting the unbalanced power dynamics evident in this latest conflict in occupied Palestine, the comedian Trevor Noah asked this rhetorical question to his critics. If you have this much power, what is your responsibility? I think this statement is one that we should own and reflect upon deeply. In the very first step in the Sakina method of recovery, we address how, when we are in the state of total submission to God, we are granted the ability to access innate power within ourselves, for we are otherwise powerless without God. As Matt Goldman so beautifully shared, discipline is freedom. That discipline of following the path of recovery 
is ever so important right now if we want to see humanity evolve and begin experiencing real justice throughout the world. And as individuals, being able to move from virtue signaling to self-accountability is a humbling transformation that requires dedicated effort. It is not easy to free oneself of their ego. If this is your struggle, the principles of recovery in the Sakina method will aid in uplifting you and providing a foundation for moving forward. Please, always reach out if you would like to learn more about the Sakina method of recovery and know that Allah does not burden us with more than we can bear. Alhamdulillah. To connect further with Matt Goldman, you can reach out to him at oswegobusinesslaw.com. His email is matt at oswegobusinesslaw.com. Oswego is spelled O-S-W-E-G-O. And you can also reach him at his office at 503-908-3566. Sober Awakenings is now on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash timisacoach to support this podcast with a donation or as a member. And be sure to check out the new Sukina Book Club. We are currently reading through Martin Ling's biography of the life of the Prophet Muhammad. May the peace and blessings of God be upon him and his family. This is a great resource and an excellent example for us in how to live as a perfect human being. New episodes of Sober Awakenings are continually in the works and will be available for you as soon as possible. Special thanks to Zoom for facilitating as the virtual recording studio for this episode. This episode was recorded on Zoom. Music was by Sound the Encounter. And our guest today was Matt Goldman. Sober Awakenings is a production of the Sakina Method of Recovery. And I'm your coach, Tim Brennicke. May the peace and blessings of God be with you all.